You are now listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Jamie, and this episode is hosted by Stacey Yvonne and Ryan. In our very first segment, we welcome Carlicia Grant. Now, she can currently be seen in the Netflix hit series Outer Banks. She plays Cleo, a confident and fearless Nassau girl whose world collides with the Pogues. Season two is already currently streaming on Netflix. Also on the small screen, Carlisa can be seen on Oprah Winfrey's well-received megachurch series Greenleaf, as well as the critically acclaimed miniseries Roots, alongside actors Lawrence Fishburne and Forrest Whitaker. She's also recurred on NBC's crime drama Game of Silence and recently guest starred on Fox's medical drama The Resident. Our second segment, hosted by Ryan, features director Jamila Wignott of the movie Ailey. Many may know the name Alvin Ailey, but do they know the man? Ailey's commitment for searching the truth and movement resulted in pioneering and enduring choreography that centers on African-American experiences. Director Jamila Wignott's resonant biography grants artful access to the elusive visionary who founded one of the world's most renowned dance companies, the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Very good. Thank you. Well, it is so great to meet you. My name is Stacy, and I write for Black Girl Nerds. And um, I had watched a few episodes of Outer Banks and then kind of got uh, pulled away for a while. And so my niece and nephews are huge, huge fans. And so they're always talking about it. And so I was like, I know a little bit about it. So when this opportunity came up, I was like, okay, well, let's, let's see what this is about. Um, especially knowing that season two is going to take place in the Bahamas. We filmed it. We filmed it in Barbados, but it's mm. cheated to look like Bahamas. Well, yeah. Um, yeah. What can, first of all, tell us a little bit about you and kind of um, how you got into acting and then how you stumbled upon this role. Um, I started acting probably, well, I knew I wanted to be an actor when I was uh, 13. I did a play and um, I don't know, I just fell in love with the whole process of it. And I was like, this is what I want to do like for the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> And I just, you know, just kept pursuing it like through the years. And um, and with getting Outer Banks, um, I just got, I got an audition mm-hmm. and I didn't even watch the show yet. Like I remember seeing the show like on my queue, but I never like got around to watching it, but it said films in Barbados. And I was like, yes. <laughs> First of all, I'm, a, I'm a, like an island girl at heart mm-hmm. and I've never been to Barbados yet. So I was like, oh my gosh, I have to get this. Like, I really want to um, go to uh, Barbados. 
Um, and then um, I taped the audition, I sent the tape in. I didn't hear anything back and I just kept seeing they were like re-releasing the roles. Like, and I'm just like, dang, I didn't even get, I didn't even get like a callback or nothing. Mm -hmm. And then like my manager um, called me and she's like, um, you know, they're still looking for that girl. Like they're still casting that, that Cleo role in like that show you keep talking about, the Barbados show. Mm -hmm. And I was like, um, I really want to be on the show like I love the show like at this point I already like binged it and I was like obsessed over it and mm -hmm. I was like I really want to be in the show um she was like all right well let's just send it again let's just send the tape again and literally we just sent the exact same tape again and then boom got a chemistry read and uh the rest was just kind of history that's amazing. It's it speaks to the perseverance of the thing because it's so easy to kind of be like, oh, they didn't want me. Let's just go. But you know, it was something that you really wanted. You're like, let's let's do it again. Let's get my face in there again. <laughs> Might as well. So I really like yeah. that that tenacity. Um, what can you tell us about the Cleo role? Um, Cleo is a, a badass. <laughs> like she she gets what she wants at all costs. Um, she's loyal, she's a fighter, mm -hmm. um, but she has love. She definitely has um, love for the, the people around her, but she's in survival mode. So she's gonna do like whatever it takes to survive. That's awesome, I'm very excited. Did you uh, get to do accent work? Yes, yep, Cleo has an accent. <laughs> what was it like yep. preparing for that? Um, it was just a lot of uh, a lot of repetition, a lot of uh, repetition. I worked with um, Kareem Lewis, just really um, mm. getting like the the true like Bahamian um, accent accent because I'm Jamaican and Haitian, mm -hmm. so the accent is like a little bit different than that. Right. So it just was a lot of just like repetition and literally going line by line or, or word by word. And really, the main thing was I would be on YouTube all the time <laughs> and just watching like the. Um, like the mashups that they'll have. So they'll have like Bahamian versus Trinidadian. And I would oh, just wow. keep watching like all these mashups and like all these people who would just be in the Bahamas and like the Bahamas slang. So I put like, there's like a lot of like Bahamian swing um, sayings that Cleo says. Um, so yeah, just a lot of research. Now, um, yeah. I know you kind of got your start uh, or you kind of came on the main scene in Roots um, mm -hmm. for the History Channel. What was that experience like? Um, that changed everything for me. Like, I, I didn't really know, like, as much history as like the African American experience as far as being in the United States. Mm -hmm. um, so just the research on that role and really having to experience like, wow, like, this is what like, our people went through. Mm -hmm. And it gave me so much more strength, like playing that role, um, getting to play that role. It gave me so much strength in my life like day to day because like sometimes I'll sit and I think you know if I'm having a bad day where I'm going through like a million things I'm thinking like well you know just think of what my ancestors had to go through like is this as bad as like you know getting your kids stealing or being beaten or not having a voice so it makes me appreciate life with a different sense of of pride because it's like you know I really am my ancestors dreams so that was like a very proud thing to do and then um, you got to spend a little time on Greenleaf. <laughs> Tell us what yeah. was that like? <laughs> Who was your character I mean, in that I, one? I played Danielle Turner. So I was in season one and then a little bit like the beginning of uh, season two. Mm -hmm. uh, 
That was fun. That was so that was so much fun because I was like a, a huge fan of of Oprah Winfrey. Like I grew up oh, watching yeah. her like every day. Yeah, me and my mom would watch her all the time. And I wanted to be on the Oprah Winfrey show so bad, like mm-hmm. so bad. Like that was just something I wanted out of my life. And then the show ended. So I was like, dang, now I'm never going to like be on the Oprah Winfrey show. Right. But then I got to be like on like the Oprah Winfrey network. So that was just like a full circle moment for me to actually have met her you know and oh I was gonna say so you did get to meet her yeah it was very quick it was very quick like she just like stood next to me it doesn't matter you just need the Oprah magic no but that was it that was it yeah yeah like it's it's definitely like like I think I was probably I definitely was in shock the whole time because Mm -hmm. I was just like like I was just so amazed that I was actually like standing next to this woman (laughs) now who are some of your um acting inspirations what are some roles that you kind of look to that really kind of push you forward I think it depends on the role and like what exactly my whatever role that I'm kind of working on is going to do but definitely Halle Berry is like Mm -hmm. one of my biggest inspirations like I (laughs) definitely would see her and would be like oh my gosh, like, you know, it's possible. Like, I, I could really do it. Um, Kerry Washington and Scandal, mm-hmm. like, that was definitely, like, my joint. Um, I love Zendaya. I think she's doing great. Angela Bassett, she's oh. an icon. Regina <laughs> King. Like, I mean, the, the like, I think the, the list can go on. Um, but, um, yeah, the list can go on. Well, one thing I always find interesting, I'm always on a lookout when it comes to different shows, and I want to make sure that Mm. they have a Black woman, preferably more than one, that aren't Mm -hmm. related to each other, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and preferably if we could get at least one to be like a darker skin tone, and just, I just like to see that representation because it's ubiquitous, it's everywhere, and so now with Outer Banks going into the second season, we have two Black female characters who aren't related, and you know, it's like different experiences, different backgrounds. Um, What was it, have you had a chance to work with uh, that actress, and what was the attitude like on set? Oh yeah, Madison, oh my god, I adore Madison. Madison (laughs) is my love. (laughs) Like we are so cool and we are so close and she really welcomes me, really welcomes me into the set and, and into the family, like with open arms and really helped me just navigate like this, this new space. And we definitely have like a sisterhood, you know, she, they call me for anything, anything you need. And, and when I do call her, she does like show up for me and it's, it's wonderful. It's wonderful to see this representation and truthfully like season two it's a lot of representation like you know it's a little it's gonna be a lot it's not only me not (laughs) better be (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. exactly there's a whole uh beautiful storyline that that's gonna go go on well I really loved the um story in the first season about Mm -hmm. how this gold you know originally belonged to the slave and he was buying freedom and then eventually got you know hung for it and so it kind of has the underlying narrative of like racial dynamics and so I'm interested to kind of see how that goes into the second season definitely and definitely um Pope's character has a beautiful storyline um Mm -hmm. 
see how I'm going to say, I'm going to say the wrong. He has a beautiful storyline <laughs> in regards to like slavery and okay. getting back like the, um, like the African-American experience. Right. Like he definitely has a wonderful storyline in, in regards to that. All right. Well, I am excited to watch. I am so excited and so happy. Do you have anything else that you're working on in the meantime? I do, but I can't talk about oh, it. Oh, okay. All right. Well, when yeah. it comes out, please let us know because I'll be happy sure. to write it on up. <laughs> For sure. I was so excited. I was so excited to sit and talk with you guys. Well, thank you so much for taking this time today. And oh, have they released an actual release date yet? Oh, yeah. It's beyond some days. It'll be out next Friday. Excellent. Okay. I wasn't sure. I kept looking around and it was like July. <laughs> I was like, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's going to be, it'll be out next Thursday. Is this going to air before or after the show? Thank you so much. I hope you have a great rest of your week and um, yeah, good luck on the show. I'm excited for you. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you, Stacey. And I want to hear what you think about it. Season yes, three. I will. You will definitely. <laughs> <laughs> have a good day, everyone. All right. Thank Bye. you. Too. Bye. The Black Girl Nerds podcast will return in just a moment. Respect, starring Jennifer Hudson, follows the rise of Aretha Franklin's career from a child singing in her father's church to her international superstardom. Aretha handpicked Jennifer to portray her in this film. The remarkable story of Franklin's journey to find her voice and never lose faith. Her music shaped a generation, topping music charts with anthems still relevant today. From think to respect to amazing grace, Jennifer Hudson's live performances of Aretha's songs demand to be seen on the big screen. Respect also stars Forrest Whitaker, Marlon Wayans, Audra McDonald, Mark Marin, Titus Burgess, and Mary J. Blige. Don't miss Respect. Only in theaters, August 13th. Within the culture, our eating habits are constantly evolving. Rebellion Harvest is a black-owned pistachio company that offers a new evolution of taste. They have flavors such as lemon pepper, wet, badu sage, exotic mystery, and jalapeno. They've created a fun, refreshing, and unapologetic way for nut lovers to enjoy a light snack that is both flavorful and well within our culture. I tried these, they're absolutely delicious. If you want to have a nice, light, fun snack while you're doing your Netflix and chilling, this is the snack for you. By the way, Rebellion Harvest is a black-owned pistachio company, so I love that. I love supporting black businesses, and I also love eating healthy. So listen, Black Girl Nerds listeners, I think you need to get on this. A great snack should never have to sacrifice flavor. Head over to rebellionharvest.com and use the promo code BLACKGIRLNERDS to get 10% off your order. Again, that's rebellionharvest.com, promo code BLACKGIRLNERDS to get 10% off your order. I have two cats. I love them to death, Coco and Carmelita. You've probably heard me talk about them on this podcast before. 
They are my furry little loved ones and I adore them to pieces, but sometimes I have to pick up the pieces of their little stink bombs that they leave outside of their litter box. Cleaning up is not fun when it comes to owning a cat, but Pretty Litter has actually made my life a little bit easier. This kitty litter is reinvented. Unlike traditional litter, Pretty Litter is actually super light. They have crystals that trap odor, release moisture, resulting in dry, low-maintenance litter that doesn't smell. And Pretty Litter is virtually dust-free because it's manufactured with a specialized de-dusting process. So less dust and no fuss. Pretty Litter arrives safely at my door in a small lightweight bag that lasts up to a month. Now that I get litter bags auto-shipped, I don't have to deal with last-minute trips to the store and shipping is free. But above all else, here's why Pretty Litter is a pet parent's hero. It's a health indicator. Pretty Litter monitors my cat's health by changing colors when it detects potential underlying issues. You won't find that kind of innovation in conventional litter. So do yourself a favor, cat owners. Get the world's smartest litter without leaving home by visiting prettylitter.com and use the promo code NERDS for 20% off your first order. That's prettylitter.com, promo code NERDS for 20% off. prettylitter.com, promo code NERDS. Welcome to the Black Girl Nurse Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan, and making it through 2020, getting into 2021, I feel like a lot of industries are reflecting a lot, you know, discovering the truth more, asking questions. And speaking of which, I have a question for you. What do you know or what do you think you know about Mr. Alvin Ailey? So ponder on that a little bit, simmer on it for a little bit, because I have director of the Ailey documentary, Jamila Wignot, with me today. Jamila, how are you? Hi, I am very well. So glad to be on this podcast with you. Look, I'm glad to have you because this documentary taught me so much. I can't wait to ask you like a billion questions or what you can <laughs> tell me because everybody has to go out to the theaters and check out some of the other details. But before we get on that, being um, Emmy Award winner, a Peacock winner, you are no like stranger to the documentary genre. What I'm curious, what pulled you into this genre? Like, what was it about this genre? Uh, you know, it really happened in a kind of happenstance way. Um, I, I landed my first internship actually at Blackside Inc., which is the production company that was responsible for Eyes on the Prize, I'll Make Me a World, Great Depression, This Far by Faith, uh, very significant uh, production company out of Boston. And I started doing um, archival research for them for the last series they would produce. And just the process of, you know, digging through that history and, and um you know, sort of experiencing kind of witness-driven storytelling by the people who lived it firsthand. I just loved it. I'm, I'm a history buff. I, um, and, and that's kind of what was sort of the first spark. Um, and, and then later I actually, you know, started working professionally as an archival producer. And, uh, and so that was really my gateway, the archives. 
Yeah, that's cool. See, I think people sleep on documentaries because if you want to get a conversation started, are you going to be the smartest person in the room? There's like a documentary on everything. Like, I think people sleep on like how much how much you could gain in the documentary world. 100%. Um, right, right. See, but speaking of which, I learned so much about Mr. A. Lee from this documentary. Loved, just really enjoyed it. So much going on here. But I want to talk to you about just like, what was the pull about his story? Because we know like, you know, the bases you know, of, of the dance, the dance company he did being a choreographer, being a pioneer, but what drew you to this story where you like, okay, I have something else I want to say. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was really the idea of, it's a story of becoming in many ways. It's the becoming of a new dance work that the company produces. And then it's his journey of becoming an artist. Um, and I was, for me, you know, I, have chosen documentary as my artistic pursuit. And, you know, I think selfishly, I'm, I'm very interested in stories about artists to see, you know, how they navigate, how they find their voice, um, how they overcome fear, you know, and then sell, you know, sort of experiencing um, the wonder of, of what they create. And so that was the initial, um, the initial kind of allure of it. Like, let me spend time with this extraordinary, icon, but how did he, you know, build and get interest in the work and, and, right. and go on that path? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's just so many twists and turns in this. Um, I loved how, well, before I get to the opening, because I want to ask you about the opening part of it, but before I get to that, how did you find, like, there were so many amazing, like, press, uh, old press uh, junkets, I guess, if you will, of him and, and photos and everything. How did you, how did you get all that stuff together? Um, all hail the extraordinary team of people <laughs> that I worked with on this. You know, I think there's this a lot of spotlight on the directors uh, who make films, but we all work with extraordinary collaborators. And so my producer, Lauren DeFilippo at Insignia Films, my archival producer, Rebecca Kent, my, um, you know, research teams that were with us, all the interns who worked with us. I mean, there's just a crew of people who you know, really did that deep dive and we were relentless in our pursuit of that. And so there is a trove of material with Mr. Ailey's, um, you know, public speaking um, um, archive. Um, and then we just really, you know, scoured the planet uh, during the pandemic, which was hard because things were slow uh, to make sure we could get, you know, as much of the material in as possible um, to, you know, bring the stage to viewers. Um, and to bring his own world alive as best we could. Yeah, it's such an interesting process. Um, I'm curious, like, what are some of the challenges for you in that? Because, um, you know, like you said, you don't think about the team that's behind and being in a documentary is such a different world, you know, than, um, than you know, some other genres of TV and film. So what were some of those challenges for you trying to, like you said, like you said, working in a pandemic as well? Yeah, I mean, I think having my team scattered um, across you know, New York City and New Jersey was a huge challenge, but not being in, um, you know, typically you're all working in a space together and there's a lot less kind of verbal communication that's that's required because there's right. just, you're watching stuff and you're just having your natural reactions to it and all that registers and you're your sort of first audience for your film. And so not having that um, was challenging. I think also knowing we had this extraordinary trove of audio only interviews the question for us became like are we going to have the archive um, particularly of black life ordinary black life because that's truly what he what he sort of celebrates right everyday right. life um, are we going to be able to find that and I am so just grateful to the you know our 
activists and preservationists and families who have, you know, donated their personal collections to, you know, various repositories, the kind of preservation and digitization effort that's happened that's made all of um, this kind of collection of life, you know, so much more available to us. I, you know, I don't think this is a film that could have been made you know, even 10 years ago, maybe, um, because there just wouldn't have been the same access to documentation. I think we tend to think like, oh, it doesn't exist, but it does exist. Right. It's just that it hadn't been preserved um, and made accessible in quite the same ways. Yeah, well, it's so cool how you guys made this accessible and the people that you got to interview. Um, speaking of which, the top of it, I wanted to talk to you about, because I had a little tear here, because rest in peace, Cicely Tyson, oh, the amazing Cicely Tyson. I know. Um, when she said that he was Black and universal, I'm paraphrasing here, but how she opened mm -hmm. that up. Mm -hmm. What, um, why, why, I mean, I know how I felt when I saw it, but I'm curious, why did you pick that to open that? Or what did that mean to kind of have that, that moment to start it off with? Yeah, I mean, you know, we cut that scene long before she had passed. And so we went back and forth on whether to kind of open with that. I think we wanted for especially those people who are unfamiliar with Alvin Ailey and the company, we needed some way to say, you know, look at, you know, just start with understanding how um, grand the company was and how much they had achieved. And there he is getting his um you know, his Kennedy Center honor. Um, they, the two of them had known each other since, uh, since uh, Mr. Ailey's days, little like on Broadway. And so they were friends. And so it was just beautiful to have her be the one to, to speak on his behalf. And then we could never have, you know, it's the film was completed and we had already knew we were in Sundance. And then, you know, she passed away, I think in, in January or February was it of this past year. So um, very bittersweet, but I'm, I'm very delighted that those two sort of friends, but also icons um, are in this film. Yeah, and it's a, yeah, such a beautiful moment. Um, and to be able to, and speaking too of, of Sundance, what were some of the feedback you got? But because what is so interesting about Mr. Ailey's story is that you can bring in people from so many different backgrounds, the choreographers, the dancers, you know, if you own your own dance studio, you're mm -hmm. going to some of the things that you can relate to. What kind of, have you gotten a lot of feedback from people where you're, where they're like, thank you for showing this and revealing some of this that we go through behind the scenes? Yeah, I think there was, um, there's been a really tremendous reception. I mean, I think for filmmakers, you know, in the States, obviously getting into Sundance is like a dream and, and that it happened. I mean, we all were just like lost our minds. We were so excited. Um, and yeah, I think that was, you know, this idea that he embodies so many experiences. Um, you know, he's a dancer, he's black, he's queer. Um, you know, he started his own company. He experienced, you know, mental health struggles. I think there is a way that he is an access point for so many people. And I think our challenge and the reception that I think we're, we're getting is that it, we, we approached it in a kind of intersectional for lack of a better word way, right, you know, yeah. we just wanted to show you a man experiencing and living his life, um, you know, and just to go along that journey with him. And so I think people are really excited about the journey. And then I think, you know, um, the archive is what people are really uh, responding to as well, um, because it's just, it's just extraordinary. So I'm right, you know, yeah. grateful for that. Yeah, just amazing to see all of his dance numbers and everything. Was there was there like a surprising fact for you, a surprising moment going through the archives, working with your team to kind of pull all this together that you were like, oh, well, this has it going here. I can't believe this. 
Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, we, it's the footage that we feature at the top of the film when he's talking about um, sacrifice, that footage of him. And it's, it's in about 78, he's in the rehearsal room. He's working with dancers. You see the same footage later on. And then it's that great interview with him and Harry Belafonte. Um, When we saw that um, material, we were just like, okay, we don't know how, (laughs) we don't know where or how or whatever yet, but like, this is just, it's so great to see him working with the dancers and, you know, like in process. Um, and there isn't that much of that material around. So to have that, um, to have that uh, preserved is just amazing. Yeah. And another thing too, there's so many, I feel like there's so many emotions, so many topics this film touches on. Um, when you talk about mental health and mm. just the fact of being able to, cause I know I have a, a problem with that as well as being able to step away and say, okay, I need a break. Cause you're ready yeah. for that. You're ready to keep pushing. You're ready for the next thing. You got that next interview, blah, 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 whatever. So you don't step away. So it was interesting that you guys, the way the, that was interweaving throughout the documentary of him when, you know, and his team, and you know, mm. when was it okay for him to say, okay, I need to take a break or I need to tell somebody or say something. What was that like for you guys working through that and, and to, to, to reveal that part if people weren't aware? Yeah. I mean, I think that part is really emotional and it's a part that I, you know, we actually started working on that part of um, the story first in many ways, because it was so, he's so vulnerable and it's so important. And we wanted to feel like you know, we could experience the way he started to, you know, the world, his world started to unravel for him and this like extraordinary fatigue he had, because I think, you know, for that generation, um, particularly, you know, um, black artists of that generation, they, there was so much on the line. I don't think they felt like they could take breaks. You know, it's like taking a break was letting down, um, was not, was not taking a break, was not taking advantage of, uh, the platforms they had to then further, you know, the, you know, the fight for the community. And, and so, you know, I think that was his tension of knowing how important um, the company was, and, and the mission of the company, but also just feeling, you know, yeah, neat. I mean, clearly telling Miss Sylvia Waters, like, I need, (laughs) I'd love to step away for a while, you know, where are you going? Um, you know, I think that that is just uh, deeply challenging. And I'm, I'm glad that it's out there in the world. I think people need to understand, you know, um, the challenges along with the, the glory, right? Right. And just that like that artistic sense too, like when you have that in you, when you're that creative, just knowing when you when it's okay to take a break. And everybody's mm-hmm. not it's always, you know, they feel like they're expecting the next big thing out of you, but do have to take care of yourself in the process. So I thought that was so interesting how you guys wove that throughout the documentary. Um, and also too, the a lot of the dancers or the artistic directors you guys brought in like Judith Jameson her she sticks out to me because I would have needed water or somebody to carry me off the stage I forgot the performance <laughs> she was in but she was Cry. talking about <laughs> yeah, yeah just talking about like not being able like at point like you don't even feel your legs at a point like you're just going constantly just performing wise yeah and I think that's what really stuck out to me about her but um, yeah, like I said, it's just it's just very interesting to hear the dancers' stories, and like you brought up too, the time period that they're in trying to do all this. So maybe mm-hmm. you don't have the best place where you can rest, where you can eat a decent meal, and you're having to get up on stage and perform. Right, right, exactly. And I think you know what I love about that with dance in particular is I get emotional um, at a lot of dance performances because I understand the endurance that's required. Um, and I think in Mr. Ailey's um, works, he sort of charts a journey of endurance as well. And I think there's some point where you 
that feeling of you have got to the breaking point and how will you carry on? You know, how can you continue? What can you draw? What strengths more can you draw upon um, to keep moving forward? And that is life, you know? And I think that for me, Cry in particular, um, the journey of that, of that, the woman and that solo and, and a kind of, um, I think a kind of like psychological freedom that's attained at the end of that dance um, of knowing, okay, I am, you know, I don't think she escapes her conditions, but I think she arrives in a different place and has an understanding of something inside of her that can never be taken or broken. Um, you know, uh, that's, that's very beautiful. Right. And w- were there any, um, any of his dancers, any of his, his, um, I guess any of his crew, his, his tight-knit team here when he started that were, when you asked them to be on the document, were anybody, was anybody relenter or they like, listen, because who, who he is, I need to share this. I want people to know. Cause there were a lot yeah. of emotional tears and everything. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I think people, um, I think that there was, um, understandably a kind of, um, hesitation you know I I think they wanted to know that they could trust me um with his story I think they everybody was interested in having a story told everybody was interested in having like an authentic true story told uh warts and all in a way um but they wanted to know that it was going to be um done with care and I think you know they're so you know the institution has as survived him and is thriving. And I think they, there's concerns about, you know, just doing justice and, and, and doing Mr. Ailey's story. Right. So I had lots of conversations and lots of meetings and, you know, lots of engagement with people before we even ever sat down to film. And I think that's just part of my process in general. Um, and I think that was appreciated and, and, uh, and then they knew they could trust me to tell me what they needed to tell me. (laughs) Speaking of tell you what they need you to tell you, I thought it was cool you got the the 60th anniversary, some of that stuff in there. What was, I know that had to be another whole other emotional level to kind yeah, of well, get a documentary. Yeah, yeah. So I think actually when we approached the company in the beginning to get access uh, to the company, we always knew we wanted a contemporary component because as I say, Mr. Ailey's biography is not one that, you know, the company dies with him or that his vision was so much more than himself always. Right, so we, we yeah. knew to do justice to that. We we wanted to show the company. And it just happened that they had just commissioned Rennie Harris for the 60th anniversary. So they said, it's so odd that you're, it's amazing you're coming to us now because we just commissioned this. And is that a dance that you would want to follow through to the end? And we were like, oh yeah, 100%. So, and that dance, Lazarus is just extraordinary. I'm pretty confident they're going to um, restage it when the Mm -hmm. company opens up on stages uh, this December and they'll take it on tour. So highly, 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 highly recommend seeing an evening where Lazarus is on the, is on the, uh, table. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Do you have, do you have like a, uh, kind of last question here about it? Do you have any, like a favorite performance, um, for Mr. Ailey, like a favorite number or anything? Cause I was just sitting over here wishing I could dance and, and singing to some of the music. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I have, I have two and it's funny, they're solos and they're, <laughs> they're kind of counterparts to each other. Um, I love in Revelations, it's not something that we featured in the film, but it's I want to be ready. It's a beautiful solo. Um, and that I love. And then Cry. Cry is really now, um, and it's, you know, my biases as a Black woman. <laughs> um, it is the dance for me that I, um, I just, I just love it so much. 
and I'm curious and to kind of take us out to the end here what do you want what are you hoping the people take away from this what are you hoping the new generation if they don't know hopefully they find out because they need to know um about Mr. Ailey I just hope that everybody um you know grows to understand his journey and his struggles and that they love him as much as I love him um I think you know there is an extraordinary sacrifice uh that our um that the generation that came before us had to make. And what I always say is, you know, I really hope that moving forward, we can find ways to continue to build, express ourselves, um, but hopefully be, you know, a little less lonely in the process of doing that. Um, and I hope that people start going to dance, man. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, this made me, well, I cannot dance, like, hit a beat at all, but I just want to go to dance class because it's so inspiring to see how they are so committed to this thing that, you know, it just takes a lot of, um, you know, just so much commitment and so much, um, you know, discipline. It's so amazing to see them go through this. Yeah, yeah, 100%. So you guys check it out, NY Theater, July 23rd, July 30th in LA theaters and nationally in August, August 6th. So go check it out. Uh, Jamila, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. The Black Girl Nerds podcast is produced by Jamie Brodnax. The opening theme song to our show is written and performed by Samus. Various instrumentals are performed by Samus, Sky Blue, and Shubzilla. You can find various episodes of the Black Girl Nerds podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Audioboom, Google Play Music, and Spotify.